If you have kids or if you've raised small kids, you, you know that when kids are small, you, you have to tell them often, do this, don't do that. You have to, you have to help guide them. You have to give them a lot of rules. You, you, you have to say, no, this is dangerous, right? Don't touch the stove because it might be hot. As kids get older though, one of the, one of the things that we have to do as adults, which is really hard, is to begin letting them make some decisions on their own. We have to go from teaching, from telling kids what to do to teaching kids how to think, right? We want them to be good, productive citizens, right? Sometimes I feel like that's my only goal. Like, <laughs> I don't want to visit you somewhere where I don't want to go. Um, but to do that, we have to teach them to think because if we don't teach, if we, some, some households, some families never move beyond telling their kids, don't do this, do this, don't do this, don't, it's all rules. And they never teach their kids how to think. And one of two things happens. And as they grow up, they either become very naive and they just do everything that everyone says to them, which is dangerous, or they don't know how to think and they make a lot of really bad decisions. So it's important for us as we mature and as we grow, that we learn how to think, that we learn how to make the right decisions, that, that in our lives becomes discernment. And Paul writes to the church at Colossae, very much like a father writing to children. This is a, a new church. It's a young church. Paul didn't plant the church. His, his, one of his disciples uh, came in and he planted the church and the church had a strong beginning and it, it had a lot of good faithful people and there's still a lot of good faithful people there, but there's been a lot of false teaching that has come into the church. A, a lot of individuals have, have come to try to uh, distract the work of the gospel in these believers here in the church. And so Paul writes, we've been going through a series where chapter one begins and, and Paul talks about who Jesus is, the gloriousness of Jesus, how he is first and foremost and has primacy over all things, all things in our life, all things that exist, all things that he has been highly exalted by God, that he is God. Then in chapter 2, chapter 2 begins, and if you look at verse 1, it says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. He is torn. He's torn because of false teaching that has crept into this, ta- this church. He's, he's torn because those who love Jesus are, 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 being, are being hindered in their growth. He's torn because there's these teachers and the, the philosophy that they have sounds good and, and, and the things that they're saying kind of make sense. And it's tempting for these young baby Christians to go and to, to distract themselves from living in Jesus alone is sufficient for their salvation to say, and maybe I need to add a few of these rules. Maybe I need to do a few of these things. Maybe I need these experiences that they're saying. And Paul writes today in this text that we're saying, very much like a father. And he's writing that there are those that are coming to you and they're, they're bringing extra rules, they're emphasizing experiences, and they're, they're introducing spiritual disciplines, and they're judging you because you don't do what they do. And Paul writes and says, I want you to know you are sufficient in your faith in Jesus alone. You don't need the extra rules. 
You don't need the extra experiences and you don't need the extra disciplines to be in Christ. And friends, today, these come in all different ways around us. There are all different ways that we see this, but it really kind of boils down to a lot of times these, do we want to add extra rules more than God did and force that on others? Do we expect extra experiences than, than our daily grace and, and through the word of God that comes and, and we force those experiences on each other? Or do we look at our own life and our own spiritual disciplines and things that we've put in place and say, I'm holier than you because I do this? It's a temptation that we all have. In fact, as we look at this passage today, there's these three areas that we're going to look at. And I want to try to personify them and I want to try to make them real and and not just something that happened to Paul. In fact, what I love about this passage is that Paul's going to talk about these false teachers that have come in and these, these false things. And he doesn't give it exact names. He doesn't give it exact practices. He gives the, the overarching principle here that's derailing their faith, that's causing them not to grow. And I love that because now we can read this text and we can look at our own life and we can look at, at teachings and different things that come in the church and we can say, I see that, where if it said, you know, this is what Joe teaches, we'd go, I don't know Joe. I love that about the Bible. It is so transferable to our lives today. And so this is a, a passage, these three things, everybody here is going to be offended. I am an equal opportunity offender, all right? We're going to step on everybody's toes as we look at these passages because they're real struggles that we have at the the base of the struggle. What I want you to see is what this comes down to is, is Jesus enough? Are you satisfied in Jesus or are you wanting to supplement and add something to say, I need something else than Jesus? Paul writes and says, Jesus is enough. We should be satisfied in Christ. So I want to personify these three points. It's going to be a little different than I do sometimes. The first, the first thing that I want to look at is a guy that I'm going to call lawmaking Larry. Lawmaking Larry. And, and this is the concept of legalism. Okay. That's our, that's our big term here. Look at Colossians 2 verses 16 and 17. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Okay, so they're looking at you and they're judging you and they're saying, you're not as good as I am. Maybe you're not even a Christian because of this. Paul says, don't own that. Don't listen to that. Don't allow that to derail you. In questions of food and drink, regard to festival, new moon, or a Sabbath. Then he writes and he says, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. And we know through the Bible, if we begin in the Old Testament, that food restrictions, special diets, observance of special ceremonies and days, these arose out of Jewish practice. Uh, God gave many of these ceremonies is what Paul writes here to say they were a picture, they were a shadow They were a shadow of things to come. And what has happened is, is that people have clung on to these shadows and they're missing out on Jesus. And so, you know, phones are great, right? The new phones. Some of you are still on a flip phone. I think Bill still has a flip phone. Bill Walden. No, you upgraded. Oh, (laughs) 2018 has come. All right. (laughs) One of the greatest things about the new phones is there's a camera. 
right? You always have a camera with you. Uh, I worked at Home Depot uh, when the cameras first came in phones, and we found out that it was a bad thing because all of the, the safety regulations that they want everybody to do, like go up in a lift fully harnessed, the regional director for safety is up in a lift without a harness, and a guy walks by and goes, hey! <laughs> We always have a camera, and so since we always have a camera, we have lots of pictures. In fact, who has more pictures in their phone than on their walls, right? That's the thing, is now pictures don't get printed. It used to be you'd take a picture, you didn't know what was there until you took it to get printed, and now you know immediately what's there, and so you don't go print it. So if I took you, I have pictures of my family on my phone, on Facebook, on different things. And, and if I said, if, if I have them there so I can meet somebody and I say, oh yeah, I have, I have six kids. And they're like, you have what? And I was like, yeah, really? Look, I'll show you, right? I can, I can show you. Okay. Look, here's, here's what Jonathan did to get in trouble last time. Okay. Here's what Grant did, right? I have a document of all of it and I have them on there because they're special to me. That's my family. I, I love them. But could you imagine if, if I went and I, I actually printed the pictures and I hung them up all over the walls of my house and I began to relate to the pictures of my children and the picture of my wife. And while they're there in the house, I ignore them because I have their picture. Right? Like, honey, you are all dressed up right here. You look so much better here. I'm just going to look here. Okay, don't do that. But you see, that's an illustration for what Paul's saying. He's saying there were shadows of what was to happen, and you are stuck on the shadows, not on the reality. And if you're stuck on the shadows, just as if I was stuck on the pictures, I would miss the real relationship with my family and with my wife. And there's so many people throughout church history and even today that are stuck on rules and shadows that they miss a vibrant relationship with Jesus. They miss a vibrant relationship with Jesus. That's what Paul says is wrong with these shadows. It's wrong to, to worship. They had a place, but now they don't. And we still deal with this today. What are these shadows? What are these things that he's talking about here? Well, one of the main ones that he's looking at are still things that we hear about today. He writes and he says that there's questions about food and drink and, and, and festivals and new moons and, and Sabbath. It, it all boils down to two things that we get hung up about very often, and it's diet and days. Diets and days. Eat this, don't eat this, drink this, don't drink this. Days. What what day are you going to do? It's Jehovah's Witnesses, they won't celebrate their birthday because only evil people in the Bible celebrate their birthday. Um, who, who celebrates Christmas? Okay, None of you are Puritans because they detested the idea of Christmas and they would work on purpose on that day. Halloween. Should we celebrate it? Should we shouldn't celebrate it? We have all kinds of days. Today is Pentecost in a lot of churches. And so they'll come together and they'll celebrate Pentecost today. And it's not necessarily wrong, but I'm saying we can get very hung up on this. And in fact, it can become a wedge and it can be so focused on the shadow that you miss the reality. You become very legalistic over the shadow. Let me give you a definition of legalism here. A definition of legalism. Real simple, it's God's law. So God has commanded some things that we should do. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do what God's law said. But you have God's law plus my law and it equals the law. That's legalism. 
That's legalism. You go, you go, God, you, you gave us a lot of really good stuff here. Man, I, I love the Bible. It's awesome. Thank you so much. But you missed a few things. I'm here to help you out. You're welcome. Right? I want to make sure that we're clear on this. And so I added a chapter. It's called First Opinions. And it's a good one. And I'm going to make sure everybody obeys it. That's what legalism is. So how do we end up with lawmaking Larry? This is, this is Larry here. Okay, he's angry, right? He's angry. <laughs> how do we end up with, with lawmaking Larry? How do you get to this point? Well, first, he, he struggled or he stumbled about something. He had a, he had a real weakness. Okay, he saw an area in his life where there's freedom and he says, I, I indulge here. This leads me astray. This isn't a good thing for me. And so I'm going to put a, put a, put something in place. That's what he does. The second thing, he makes a, uh, he makes a rule to guard himself. Okay? I can't be trusted with the internet and so I'm just not going to have it at the house. It's a good thing. Right? So far, Larry's good. It, it's okay. It's okay to say, I read the Word of God, I'm convicted about some things, I struggle in this area where others could be free, and I've been doing it, and so I'm going to set up a rule, and I'm going to protect myself so that I don't do these things. But then Larry demands that others adopt his rules. Right? The Internet's nasty. You're not a Christian if you have it. Have we met Larry? Lots of issues. And then he begins to judge those who don't obey his rules. You're not a real Christian if. And what are some things that we see this about? Because it's real. We see this. What are some modern debates that we have that are legalistic debates? What about Bible translations? Right? People ask me all the time, what's your favorite Bible translation? Here's my official opinion about Bible translations. They're like ice cream. There's a few I love. I like most of them. And a few of them make me sick to my stomach. You don't have to read the same one that I read. I have reasons why I have a preference for the one that I read. But I don't think that you're going to hell if you didn't figure out the right Bible to read. Uh, Kids' education. Should kids be homeschooled, private schooled, charter schooled, unschooled? Right? We get very legalistic about this. I met somebody who couldn't join a church because they wouldn't homeschool their kids. Here's my official, my official, my official stance on education. And I homeschool my kids. My official stance on education. They should be educated. And you should pray about it and you should figure out what works best for your child and what works best for your family. And you should be involved in your kids' education. But to think that we would make a rule that would equal itself to the gospel and we begin to judge each other to say, you're just not holy because you send your kids to public school. We do that. What about politics? Do we want to talk about politics? Me neither. But we do that. We say, you couldn't be a Christian if you vote. If you're, if you're a Democrat, you can't be a Christian. If you're a Republican, you can't be a Christian. Or, or, or we say, you're only a, a Christian if you're a Democrat. You're only a Christian if you're a Republican. And then the, uh, the, the, the independents, and um, they say, no, they're both gone. You can't be either one in a Christian. And we begin to fight about not the policies of the people, but what do you identify with? There's so many ways that we begin to judge each other that are extra biblical things. Do you see that? Worship music. (laughs) 
I find this hilarious that the church judges each other over worship music. I have, I have a, a, a great grand announcement for some of you. The oldest hymn in our hymnal is about 1150 A.D. <laughs> Jesus didn't sing a single thing that was in our hymnal. And you're going, well, some of them are off the Psalms. Okay. But you get what I'm saying. We act like it's the only way. That's what Jesus gave. Jesus inspired the Bible. He didn't inspire the hymnal. I know, some of you are just mind blown. You're going to look like Larry in a minute. You know? The the, the content isn't isn't when it was written. The content is what it's about. Is it about Jesus? Is it exalting him? Is it worship? Is it inspiring us to sing and to live for him? Instruments. Okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. What instrument should we have? Is it wrong? Is it right? Uh, the, the, the organ came into the church in about 1000 AD. The piano didn't come in until the 1500s. The drums and the guitar, they were there early on. Again, we, what happens is, is that we allow our own preferences to become our prejudices. And it's okay to have preferences. Believe me, I have opinions. I have preferences. I could be a professional opinion giver. I have everything. I have opinions on everything from political parties to whether or not baseball should have a designated hitter. Okay? And I could argue for those things and I could tell you this is right. This is the way it should be. This is what I believe. But I don't want to make a law for you that isn't one that Jesus gives us. Romans 14 talks about this, and and we don't have time to look at it, but if you were to go and you were to look at Romans 14, what you would see is this whole big argument about being free and and what to do. And and Paul summarizes it basically, if I can summarize it like this, and he says, he says, what God has commanded, where God hasn't said, if God says something to do, don't do, then there's no arguing about that. But in areas of freedom where we have freedom, and we have much freedom in Christ in the new covenant, in areas of freedom... Where God hasn't spoken directly to it, you are able to be led by your experience and be led by your conscience and make a decision and say, this is not right for me. This is right for me. And if God has convicted you of that, if you have a conscience issue on something that's outside of what the word of God says, do it. It's right for you to do that. But where it's wrong is for you to then say, my conscience issue is your law. And that's what we try to do. So often. I have opinions. I don't watch TV. I really hardly ever watch any TV. Back in 2008, I became very convicted because I watched just junk. We had a, we had the dish thing and, and I would sit and I'd be like, what, spending an hour and a half watching the making of the USS Eisenhower. And I'd be like, wow. And it just hit me. This adds nothing to my life. And so I don't watch TV. Um, Halloween. We didn't celebrate Halloween for a long time. Our kids went trick-or-treating the first time two years ago because we were just very, we didn't like it. We were against it. It was a, and the more we thought about it, we thought, you know, there's a way to do this redeemingly. We can meet our neighbors. They're really not, you know, worshiping devils in my neighborhood. So I guess we're okay. I always pray before I read the Bible. 
It's a habit I picked up early on as a Christian. Before I sit down to read the Bible for my devotion time, I pray. Before I sit down and just look at a passage, I pray. If I'm up in the study and, I, and I'm looking at stuff and I go to want to read a section, I stop and I pray, Lord, show me your word, open it to me. I know it's your word and I need your spirit to, get it, to, 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 for, to help me understand it. I could easily make that a law. If you don't pray before you read the Bible, you're not really reading the Bible. Right? And that's how these things turn into laws. That's what Larry did. All right. You got to keep moving here. Okay. Second thing that we see is what we're going to call mystic Mike. Mystic Mike. Look at verses 18, 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not really a Christian. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, The going on in detail about visions. The heart of this is the Bible's not enough. The Word of God's not enough. You need a vision. They're puffed up. They're arrogant about it. Without reason, with a sensuous mind, holding fast not to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together. That's our church right there. The whole body nourished, knit together from the head, from Jesus. These these teachers, these ideas, these philosophies come in and they pull you away from the body and they pull you away from the head and they say you're not good enough. Through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. A growth that comes from God is not like this. And so we have mysticism. Mystic Mike. Mysticism is focused on two things, spirituality and sensuality. Spirituality is visions and dreams and angels, near-death experiences, paranormal activity, the supernatural. Sensuality means the feelings, not the things of the mind, not reason, but what you can taste, what you can touch, the, the feelings of it. Mysticism, a definition for this, it says, I get closer to God through my spiritual experiences. I get closer to God through my spiritual experiences. And so these individuals begin chasing, not Jesus, not reasonably, rationally thinking through the word of God and being taught and developed and growing with a growth that comes from God, Paul says, but they begin chasing their feelings. How does it feel? I want the feeling. Give me an angel. Give me a vision. Give me a word. Give me a feeling. I don't want to just read the Bible. I want a feeling. So how do we end up with Mystic Mike? How do we end up with Mystic Mike? We've got him up here. Here he is. Okay, he's got his crystals and he's channeling and, right? So, so here's, here's Mike's deal. Mike wants to be close to God. Is that a good thing? Yes, that's a good thing. Mike wants to be close to God. He has a a real desire that I want to be close to God. So he creates a ladder of experiences. And if you listen in these groups, there are ladders and there's rungs and there's lower levels and higher levels. And so he creates, how do they get these higher experiences that I can get more too close to God? And then Mike goes and he recruits others to experience his ladder. And then... He begins to see himself as spiritually greater than others. He begins to pass judgment on others because they don't follow and experience his experiences. We see this in the church today in two ways. In two ways. The first way is what we could call religious synchronism. It means the combining of multiple things. 
And so uh, religious synchronism is individuals that begin integrating uh, Christian doctrine, kind of a Christian core, with things like New Age spirituality. Uh, they have uh, crystals and yoga, incense, meditation. It, it, the Bible says to meditate on the Word, but their idea of meditation is an emptying. Meditating on the Word is a filling, right? I want to fill the Word of God in my life and think on it. Their kind of meditation is an emptying of anything rational, an experience. An experience it goes into chanting, drug use. There are Christian sects, like cults, S-E-C-T-S. Got to enunciate that good. Although they have parties with the other two. But they, they start doing drugs together so that they can experience and feel more like God. It highlights the, the feeling and the self. Mysticism. That's one way. Another way that we see this, and I think we see it more, is this kind of higher level Christianity. It says that, that on Christianity, there's JV and varsity. And if you just believe in the Bible, then you're a JV Christian. But if you want to get to varsity Christian, there's something that's got to happen. And there's lots of somethings. Some denominations believe in a doctrine called subsequence of the spirit. Subsequence of the spirit. You might have heard this um, called uh, second blessing spirit baptism. Sometimes they call it that. And the idea is that you're only a JV Christian until something happens. And now you're a varsity Christian. It could be lots of things. You could speak in tongues, tithe fast, be a witness, street preach, find out who your guardian angel is, heal someone, be healed, pick the right Bible translation, figure out the end times. Jesus said we won't know. But we're all trying to figure it out. I know the day. And whatever you reach, whatever threshold they've given, now you're a varsity Christian. And everybody else is an inferior Christian. And we pass judgment on them because they're not up here with what we feel, felt and what we've experienced. One time I had a lady come to me after I'd preached. And she said, Oh, you're just, you're filled with the spirit. You must speak in the tongues all the time. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I said, I, I'm really cautious about that. I think that God could still use that. I think that it's a language in the Bible. Um, but no, I, 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 God's not ever had me experience that. And she looked at me and she said, wow, it's amazing what you can do without the Holy Spirit. You're JV, right? There's denominations that say you don't know that you're a Christian until you've experienced these things. Friends, on Team Jesus, there's no JV. As we follow Jesus, we're grounded in faith, we're grounded in the Word, and we experience the Spirit and the power of God as we're following Him. We don't chase the Spirit, and we don't chase the experiences, but if we're following Jesus, this, that will happen. Does that make sense? But we don't chase that thing. We don't look to those and pull ourselves away from Jesus. Uh, third thing, minimalist Mary. Minimalist Mary. This is, here's your big word, asceticism, not aesthetic. My wife said, does that mean the way that things look? I said, no, that's, that's aesthetics. This is asceticism. It means to deny yourself of something. Look at verse 20. If in Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, he's saying, you're a Christian. You, if you're a Christian, 
Why were you, why would you, why, why as if you were still alive to the world do you submit to the regulations? Here are the religious rules that he's going to give. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and human teachings. These have indeed appear, have the appearance of wisdom. We, we want a relationship with Jesus and some Christians want like, want Christianity to be like a paint by numbers kit. Right? Like, I want the rules. I want do this, don't do this. Okay? Give me the kit and, and, and Ikea furniture, right? Like, what, step one, two, three, four, five. Here's how I put it together. But what Paul's saying is Christianity, you gotta think. You gotta learn to, you gotta learn the word. You've gotta live with each other. You've gotta grow together. It's not so easy as one, two, three, four, five. Promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. There's your key right there. Severity to the body. Asceticism. Denying yourself of something to think that you're more holy. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You know, often the groups with the most rules when you pull back the curtain are the groups that have the most problems. It's what rules tend to do for us. They take away our joy they make it focus just on us. Let me give you a definition of asceticism here. Asceticism would say, I starve my body to feed my soul. I starve my body to feed my soul. So the, the more that I deny myself, the holier I get, the more my soul is fed, the more I'm like Jesus. And so I'm, I'm trying to produce this within myself. And it leads to, a, to an idea that the physical is bad and the internal is good. And there's lots of historical things that, that do this. Uh, you know, the, the idea is that the body has appetites. It has yearnings and pleasures that can get us into trouble. Who, who's ever, whose body and the yearnings and the pleasures has ever gotten them into trouble, right? It would be all of us. And so they look at that and they say, it's bad. So I'm going to discipline it. I'm going to be hard on it because the soul is good. Minimalist Mary uh, shows up in a few ways. One, this is uh, uh, Eastern religions. Buddhism is very much like this. Minimalist Mary in the world today, you know, she's the one that lives in the woods in a tiny house with a zero-carbon footprint, eats only vegetables, makes her own clothes, and refuses to wear shoes. Right? But we see this in the church also. We see this in the church also. So, so how do we end up with Minimalist Mary? There, there she is. So... Amish would be a group that would kind of fit into this. So, so here's Mary. Um, she experienced overindulgence, either in herself or in someone else. And she said, this is just wrong. Yes, there might be freedom there, but, but it's wrong. And, and, and it leads to wrong things. And so she comes up with an idea that the body is dangerous, that the body is evil. I don't want to feed that. I don't want that to be in me. Is that wrong? Are we wrong so far? No, we have flesh. The Bible talks about our flesh. It talks about the fact that even as we become Christians, we still struggle with this flesh. One day, God will make it all right. We will be resurrected. We'll be given perfect bodies and we won't sin. But until then, we're still going to struggle with the flesh, right? And so here's what she does. She begins to develop a, a, a philosophy that physical subtraction equals spiritual addition. Whatever I do to discipline my body must increase my holiness of my soul. And she believes that suffering puts her on a higher level of righteousness than others. And we see this in many ways. I, I had an example for you, and I, I've been holding on to it all week, and I forgot it. But I had a box of graham crackers. 
Who knows the story about graham crackers? Graham crackers were developed out of a preacher. I think it's Alexander Graham. Actually, I have the notes here. Let me get it right. Sylvester Graham. And he believed that a vegetarian diet anchored in whole, homemade whole grain bread from wheat coarsely ground at home as part of a lifestyle that involved minimizing pleasure and stimulation of all kinds, minimizing pleasure and stimulation of all kinds as how God wanted people to live. You're more holy if you don't enjoy your food. That's how you ended up with a graham cracker. Man, he must be turning over in his grave that they add honey and cinnamon to him, right? Because those are good. Many today have a poverty theology. Many have a prosperity theology. Prosperity theology means you're more holy and, and more like God if you have more. But a poverty theology says that you're more like God if you don't. If you have nothing, if you're poor. If you give it all away, then you're more like God. And neither one of them are correct. You see, here's the problem with minimalism and a poverty theology and thinking like that. It's thinking that God can only minister to me and grow me and I can be like him if I have nothing. But the Bible, in fact, shows that God is always at work in us. He's always growing us. And sometimes that's going to look like very hard times in your life. Sometimes it's going to look like poverty. And sometimes it's going to look like tremendous blessing. But in all of it, God is working in us. This is what Paul writes. Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God is always at work in us. And it becomes a problem when you begin to judge others. You begin to think that they're less spiritual than you because they don't, they don't share your spiritual concerns. God works through those who have little as well as those who have wealth. You read through the Bible, there are some very wealthy men who are godly men that use their resources for God. Remember, the Bible says that, that, the, that money, it doesn't say the money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So let's wrap this up. We all lean towards one of these. For me, I'm more of a Larry. I think probably most of us in a Baptist tradition are more towards a Larry. We like legalism. We like rules. We like to make extra rules. Sometimes we don't know what those rules are. And we want everybody to follow our rules. When we do that, we say Jesus isn't enough. The Bible isn't enough. Maybe you're more like Mike. How do you feel? No, how do you feel? What's your experience? When you're saying that, you're saying the Bible's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. I need something more. Maybe you're like Mary. You go, I don't know. It might be fun. Fred might like it, and then we do it again, and it becomes a habit. Again, you're saying Jesus isn't enough. The freedom in Christ that he's given us isn't enough. Which way do you lean? There's there's two views here that Paul's trying to say. There's two views. There's my spirituality and my rules and my way that everyone must follow. Or it's that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. 
And if we view Jesus as sufficient, if we view his word as our guide for our life, if we understand his salvation alone, faith in him and what he's done on our behalf, that's the only thing that saves you. Not your rule-keeping not your experience, not your asceticism, how, you, how you, you, can't, you can't discipline your body to atone for your own sin. Jesus did that for you. Do you believe in that? Do you trust in that? Is that sufficient for you? Can you say, I only need Jesus. I only want him. Yeah. He's the center of your life. Yeah. We're going to have a time of invitation. And, and as we do that, I welcome you. If, if the Lord is laying on your heart a decision that you need to make, maybe today you need to say, I haven't been trusting in Jesus. I've been trusting in my rules. Maybe your heart's broken today. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there's a specific issue that you know you've been too hard on someone. You've passed judgment. You've hurt someone because of your convictions being made like God's rules. Would you allow the Lord to work in your heart? to soften you, that you would respond to him today. Whatever it is, maybe there's, uh, you need prayer. Maybe there's a decision that you need to make. You want to join this church or you want to come forward and be baptized as a believer. Whatever it is that the Lord has placed on your heart, would you listen to his spirit? Would you follow him today? Let me pray for us. Father, oh, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know I've been a Larry. I know I've been a Mike. I've been a Mary also. Father, would you show me through your spirit what is truth, what is your word, and and what is the convictions that you've placed in my life that I might proclaim your word, that I might encourage others to be grown in your word, to be grown in you, but not to become models of me because Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Oh, Lord, I pray now that you would guide each of us to respond to your word. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, our only Savior, the one who is sufficient to save us, to grow us, and to perfect us, that we all pray. Amen. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what.